0: This week, a new Nintendo Switch model was finally announced, but it felt like it wasn't the one that most hardcore gamers were waiting for, and with all of the stories that were going around about the parts Nintendo was sourcing, and what features of the new system were likely going to be, it seems like many anticipated something that never was. The Nintendo Switch OLED and the Grifflands Review, coming up on the Video Games Podcast. If you weren't aware that Grifflands was a roguelike, then you could easily assume that it was just another deck builder. But it becomes quickly apparent that there is something else going on under the surface with RPG elements and roguelike tendencies. You start out as Sal, the first of three characters, a bounty hunter who has returned home after 10 years to her old home of Havaria. You have only one thing in mind, and that is to eliminate Kashio, the debt broker who sold you in the first place to labor on another planet. It's not that simple, you can't just get straight to work since you're new on Havaria. You need to make some friends and grease some wheels. You start out by going to see an old friend who can send you in the direction of people who need work done from a bounty hunter such as yourself. This is the beginning of where Grifflands begins to carve out its own identity. The backstory that we've been introduced to before touching any controls builds a solid foundation for what lies ahead. The big difference between others in the genre is that Grifflands takes RPG elements and during each run gives you the option to make different choices, choose different paths of violence, make different friends with different results, and throw in the randomness of typical deck builders with different hands during battle and negotiations and you are looking at a very different run-based game on new choices that you're going to make every time, especially when you have three characters who explore different lands with different people and different goals in mind. Making friends and doing jobs is done by viewing a three-quarter aerial view of the map, which is minimal, but looks great and is very easy to navigate even on controller. Havaria is a futuristic sci-fi dystopia that is filled with all kinds of different races and alien life forms that gives the world personality. Riftlands isn't only about making the right choices, but it's also about the choices that you didn't make. And as with any good RPG worth its salt, choices have consequences, and many of your decisions will gain you enemies that will affect how certain negotiations, battles, and vendors work. There is a lot of depth to the deck-building aspects of the game, and this can be overwhelming at first if you're new to deck-builders, and even if you aren't. One of the great aspects of Grifflands is that you have two decks that you are building throughout the game, one for negotiations and one for battle, as the game lets you decide, for many events, which path you want to take. Sometimes, it feels worth it to try to negotiate your way out first, and if that doesn't work, then you can always go to plan B. What makes Grifflands interesting is the RPG elements that helps create emergent narratives, all based on choices that you can make during each run. Conversation and negotiation is just as important as sharpening your blade. Roguelikes have seen many variations added onto the genre over the recent years, with games like Slay the Spire adding deck building to the genre, and Hades adding an engaging story that keeps you hanging on at the end of every run, just for another small morsel of story. Grifflands looks to blend elements from both of those excellent games together, and similar to Hades, Grifflands doesn't feel rushed. It was released into early access back in June 2019, and after two years of updates and fixes from Vancouver-based Clay Entertainment, they have now seen the version 1.0 released into the wild. During the first run, which in my case lasted over four hours, there is no indication that this is a roguelike. One major area that kept people away from other roguelike games like Returnal. Wasn't the difficulty, but it was how long each run is. There were times where runs could take two plus hours in Returnal. And the big difference for Grifflands is that at least on the Switch, the rest feature works great and the game is divided up by small objectives and bounties that you can do for people in short bursts. Grifflands is a very easy game to pick up and put down, but it also has the power to capture your attention for hours. One way that Grifflands looks to avoid the crushing blows of defeat that might force you to quit is by adding in a little forgiveness, at least early on. Having died on the fifth day, I was crushed that I got this close to Kashio. But Grifflands gives you the option to start the day over once per day, which technically means that you could die every day and learn from your mistakes. Now I like the idea of adding in a touch of forgiveness, but being able to die every day and continue seems to be anti-roguelike. Grifflands also doesn't give you any type of story or reasoning as to why you were able to do this, some type of implant, or you somehow survived the fight, which is surprising as Clay seems to have built a lot of story elements into this world. The good news is that this forgiveness is only available on the lowest difficulty setting which you have to start the game on until you unlock the next difficulty tier, and once you get the hang of the game and move on to harder difficulties, Grifflands takes off the training wheels. To speak of the addictive quality of this game, not only has it brought me back day in and day out, but I have actually brought my Switch to bed with me some nights. The last time I brought my Switch to bed likely would have been The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. There was always one more conversation to have, or one more step in the quest to take, or one more negotiation to attempt, as each step of your journey never takes too long in Grifflands. In many roguelikes, the more you have to repeat the run, the less enjoyable the game gets as things start to feel repetitive. Gryfflam seems to have enough measures in place to avoid these classic genre pitfalls. Different locations, different playable characters, different NPCs, and different choices unfold every single time. Playing the second character feels nothing like the first character as there are even different mechanics built into each character's abilities with negotiation and battle similar to how Silly the Spire's different characters forced you to take a different approach to each engagement. On the surface, Grifflands is much more complex than games like Slay the Spire, but once you begin to understand the systems, it feels like a natural progression of the genre by adding in some rich story elements. Instead of climbing a spire or descending through levels of hell to ignite a spark on a train, you're completing quests during different days. If you like Monster Train or Slay the Spire, then Grifflands is a very easy recommendation, and if you're new to deck builders or roguelikes altogether, then this game has enough elements of everything and many other genres that it could be your gateway into the world of decks or rogues. Increased resolution, at least when docked, improved Joy-Cons without drift worries, increased horsepower to help a system built in 2017 with already dated parts to compete in today's landscape were just a few of the hopes that many had for a new Nintendo Switch. All of these improved features that many were hoping for only make sense for Nintendo from a game's perspective, and for the most part, right now and likely for the rest of 2021, there was nothing on the release docket from Nintendo that would massively benefit from a greatly improved Switch. Metroid Prime 4, Breath of the Wild 2, and whatever other flagship titles that you have planned, they aren't due to be released until 2022 at the earliest. It's not to say that there aren't games available right now that would benefit from improvements. For example, in our review for Mario Golf Super Rush, there were some areas that felt hindered by the limited processing power and Hyrule Warriors had some of the worst frame rate drops the Nintendo Switch has seen so far. These are recent titles, so it's obvious that after four years on the market, the Nintendo Switch could use a technology improvement, but it's not a necessity at the moment. The Nintendo Switch OLED has, as you would expect, an OLED screen that is 7 inches up from the 6.2 inches of the original Switch. It has an improved kickstand that looks to be across most of the back of the system instead of a little breakable flap. The dock now contains a LAN port and it now comes built in with 64 gigabytes of internal storage up from 32 It also now comes in white, which looks very clean and very Apple reminiscent instead of the typical Nintendo Neons. These are all improvements from the original, although mostly not the requested ones that many were hoping for, they are still a step in the right direction. The question remains, is the Nintendo Switch OLED worth it? And I think there are two answers to this question. If you already own the Nintendo Switch, this doesn't seem to warrant enough reason to purchase, especially when you factor in the MSRP of 349 US and 449 Canadian, which puts it extremely close to the cost of a new PlayStation 5 or an Xbox Series X. And is even higher than the cost of an Xbox Series S, which does have some competitive specs compared to those higher end systems and does get you access to Xbox Game Pass, which is a phenomenal deal. There are many quality of life upgrades compared to the original, but not enough that it makes sense to purchase a new one for most people. The other answer is that if you are in the market and considering jumping into the Nintendo Switch ecosystem, then the Nintendo Switch OLED seems like the most logical purchase if you were deciding between the original and the OLED. There is enough reason to spend that extra $50 just to get the Switch OLED for even the screen alone. It's no coincidence that Metroid Dread is launching the same day as the Nintendo Switch OLED as there isn't much else releasing this fall as a flagship title to display this new hardware. Metroid Dread, being a 2D side-scrolling adventure, is clearly going to benefit from a bigger, sharper screen in handheld mode where the upcoming hardware has been clearly focused on. Nintendo likely has data to back up this new model as it focuses on the handheld gamer. Personally, I was expecting to be ready to purchase the Nintendo Switch Pro when it got announced, but fortunately, this isn't the Pro upgrade that I was expecting, which is good news that I won't feel compelled to purchase a new system this holiday. My Switch use is primarily in docked mode, which means that the only reasons for someone like me to purchase this system would be for a white dock aesthetic. I still fully expect most of the reporting of the 4K output and improved processing to be available in the next iteration, which wouldn't be surprising to see it launch alongside something like Breath of the Wild 2 or Metroid Prime 4. However, both of these games seem likely holiday 2022 at best and possibly 2023, and that would fall in line with Nintendo's upgrade cycle of around every two years. The original Switch launched in March 2017, the Switch Lite in September 2019, the Switch OLED coming up in October of 2021, which would seem like the next obvious iteration will be happening in 2023. And personally, not having to purchase another Switch this holiday, is just fine for me that's all for the video games podcast this week thank you for listening i hope you enjoyed the show if you did please consider subscribing if you haven't already and remember to be nice to your fellow gamer but more importantly be nice to your fellow human